Lord God, I come before you just humbled uh, and honored, uh, Lord God, to be able to stand up here and, and bring your word. I thank you that um, you are the giver of life. We humbly bring ourselves before you to honor you. Father, I pray that every word that would come out of my mouth would be uh, honoring and glorifying to you because my life is glory to you, Lord God. Nothing that I have is by any means other than you. And so I pray that tonight, um, as I share my story, I pray that it would be uh, heartfelt and intentful. I pray that you would soften the hearts of the receivers, Lord God, um, as people open their ears and their hearts to hear. Um, I pray that there would be hope that would be spurred on. And uh, Father, at the end of the day, like I said, I, I pray that your glory would be shown. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, I'll start off just a bit about myself. My name is Isaac Howard. I'm an amazing, um, I have an amazing bride, golly. Uh, so my wife, Emily, and my four kids, uh, my son, Gabe, and then Katie and Penelope and Lucy are my girls. Um, absolutely blessings of my life. Um, I was born October 25th, 1981. Uh, so I just turned 40 this year. My buddy Gabe reminded me that uh, everything starts to hurt more at 40. So, and since then, I've like messed up both my toes and my wrist. And so thank you for sharing that with me. Um, so my story uh, started way back um, being a part of a, a broken family. Um, by the age of one, my mom had decided that she didn't want to be with my father anymore. Um, there was circumstances, obviously I'm one years old, I don't understand fully the circumstances, but there was a separation there. So my mom divorced my dad, moved from Easter, from Eastern Washington over to Western Washington, um, and she married my stepfather, um, Donald, and then started my life. Don didn't know how to be a dad. Uh, he knew how to be a provider um, as far as like going to work and making the money, and that's what he was shown. Um, and my mom, bless her soul, uh, loved me the best way that she felt like she knew how. Um, but as you know, people are fallible and imperfect and all that jazz, and so my childhood was, was rough at best. Um, I grew up in, in a way of super lack of discipline. Um, and I've known or I've come to know from experience that when a child isn't disciplined, the child feels like they're unloved um, because they need that discipline, they need that structure in order to feel loved and taken care of and like they mean something. And so I grew up without really knowing that, um, without having a father figure to, you know, teach me how to play catch or to work on cars or go hunting or, you know, the lifting weights or get into fights or the fun things that boys are supposed to learn from their dads, you know. Um, my mom was, she was there, but she wasn't fully there. My sister Barbara and my other siblings helped take care of me more so um, than, than my mom fully did. Um, and so I was raised almost by, you know, other, other people rather than my mom. So I never really felt um, that mommy-mom nature. Um, so I grew up with this big hole 
on the inside of me, right? I was missing that father figure who's supposed to be there, who's supposed to lead and direct and show me how to be uh, a man of God and to chase after the things that, I, that I'm going to pursue as a man. And then also I was missing that mommy-mom side of somebody who is comforting and, and at the same time not just comforting, but when I would mess up, steer me in the right direction and give me the, the right, um, yeah, the right direction to do things. Um, so that's kind of the, the background of me as a kid. Uh, growing up in that, saw my siblings go through life um, very broken, you know, always searching for the next thing, going through drugs and homelessness. And my sister had different children by different men to where we ended up adopting uh, one of her sons, my parents did. And so then I had a younger brother all of a sudden, um, you know, all of my siblings have gone through their own walks in life, but it was never anything to look at and be like, I want to be like them. It was always one of those things of, I don't want to be like my siblings because of this or because of this. Um, so I'm going, going through life as a kid. I don't remember a ton uh, about being a kid. I just know from... Um, I guess experiences later on that there's baggage that's kind of brought up with being a kid and going through the stuff and looking back. Um, so fast forward to um, fast forward to sixth grade. Um, I remember we had moved around a ton. We moved all the time. It felt like uh, we weren't in a place for more than you know eight nine months. Uh, it was almost like the stories that you hear of military kids who bounce around from place to place and place and don't really have any stability, right? Um, I went from being in a, in a private school uh, in third grade to where I was then in a new school publicly, or a public school for third grade, and then a new school for fourth grade, and a new school for fifth grade, and a new school for sixth grade, and then halfway through sixth grade into another new school. And by that time, I had become so um, disrespectful and just obnoxious and didn't care about anybody but myself because I was never disciplined and so I would just act it out and just continue to do so. And on top of that, when you don't receive the good attention, right, that you need, as a kid I was like, well, I'm just gonna do the things to get any kind of attention that I could. And so I would do whatever I had to to get attention. You know, looking back, it's not like as a kid you're like, I'm gonna go and do something wrong so I can get a spanking because I really want that spanking. But it was just that subliminal or like underlying, you know, wanting of attention. So we had moved around a ton um, and sixth grade came up. Uh, and by the end of sixth grade, I had had so much anger that had built up inside of me that um, there was an incident where my stepdad, right, thought that he would have an a new chance with my, you know, nephew slash brother, Timothy. And so me and Timothy were playing cars one time and I, you know, took a car away from Timothy and he pinched me. And so I pinched him back. Well, my stepdad saw me pinch him. And so when he saw me, he picked me up and slammed me against the corner of the wall. So I'm 12 years old at this point. This, I'm this kid, all this anger is built up on the inside, and then all of a sudden there's physical um, abuse, right, that happens. Because you don't, when you're disciplining a kid, you don't take them and slam them up against the wall. Um, so I went out back, 
And I took my, I had one of those baseball bats that uh, had asphalt on the inside. Do you guys, anybody remember? Like, you could hit the ball really hard with them. Well, I took that ball, or that bat, out back, and over the oak tree, I broke it in half at 12 years old. Um, so at that point, my mom decided that, <clears throat> my mom decided that uh, she could no longer, yeah, <clears throat> that she could no longer handle me. So what did she do? But she sent me off to live with my sister, Barbara. Uh, she's my older sister. She lived in North Carolina. <clears throat> so I go off to live with my sister in North Carolina. You know, In my mind, I'm thinking I'm a, a kid. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to go live with new people and have new experiences. And I remember when I first you know, got there, me and Barbara ended up going to like King's Dominion or something like that, like a big you know, theme park, and it was so awesome. Um, and then like, the reality started to set in that she was in an, emotional, uh, an emotionally abusive relationship to where her husband was just not a good dude. Um, and the position that I was put in as you know, a kid 13 years old, and then all of a sudden I'm in a situation where I'm kind of the brunt of, of some of this, right? And there was a couple of times, you know, be wrestling around and like I might be getting an upper hand and then he would kind of use man strength on a boy. Um, I won't go into too much more detail about that because I don't want to talk about people that are here in that kind of way, but it led to the point of by the end of seventh grade and not even fully the end of seventh grade, it was like three quarters of the way through seventh grade, I was calling my mom, bawling, pleading, begging her if I could come home. Um, so she said, okay, I went home, go back into the same situation where I was in before, super unhealthy situation, uh, where a dad who doesn't know how to be a dad and a mom who doesn't know how to be a mom. And so I'm still broken and I'm still angry. And at that point, I started you know, kind of hearing a little bit about Jesus from people at school that would invite me to youth group and that kind of stuff. And um, by the time freshman year rolled around, uh, I ended up, I would go to youth group randomly. Um, but at that age, there was only one reason why I, as a boy, wanted to go to youth group. Um, and so there was never any real connection with Jesus, right? Um, so you fast forward a little bit more, and I'm going through you know, junior high, and I'm going through high school, and I've never really had that opportunity to become like a, a, a man's boy, you know, like rough and tough and that kind of stuff. So I was, I was very much, I guess you would just say wimpy, right? I had never been in an altercation, and so I was fearful of physical altercation. So I got picked on a lot. Um, and so it just kind of fed that fear as well, right? Or that hatred or that anger, that frustration on the inside of me. Um, and I guess I should pause and backtrack a little bit because I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. Um, my father, my real dad, uh, at the age of 10, I had only gotten to see him randomly throughout the years. Um, and at the age of 10, um, he ended up passing away. So. He had a, a massive heart attack and uh, a stroke and ended up passing away. And so at 10 years old, um, my, my real dad ha had died and passed away. And so um, I'm carrying that along with me as well. I, the last time that I shared, my wife was like, why didn't you talk about your, your dad passed away when you were 10? That kind of 
And so I wanted to backtrack really quick and share that. Um, so I'm going through high school, you know, getting picked on, everything else, and um, get to the point to where I'm, I'm trying to find my identity and who I can be. And because I was so broken, and I didn't have parents who really, like, shone into my life and, like, speaking life and, and um, encouragement into my heart, um, I didn't have, you know, sports opportunities. I didn't go to church because my parents didn't go to church and um, the different things that would come up. I wasn't academically, you know, accelerating because there was nothing of that at home, no kind of encouragement or anything like that. I like to think that if I was given the opportunity that I could throw a football over the mountains over there, but never, never had that opportunity. Um, so what did I do? Turn to the one thing that most broken lost kids do. They turn to drugs because there's other kids who are broken and lost and are in situations just like you are. And what's the common denominator? Escape. That's the whole point. For me, doing drugs was escape from reality of escaping the horrible, crazy life that I had and the desolate feelings that I had and the brokenness from the abandonment and the hurt, and the buildup, and the frustration. And I remember times of being so mad at God. Because if there was this God that my mom said that God wills everything, and so if it happened, it was God's will. And so in my mind, I'm like, well, you took my dad from me. Why would you do that? So I was so angry and bitter towards God. So I was living this lifestyle that I thought was fulfilling because it was blinding out all the pain and the suffering and the people that I was hanging out with that was doing the same thing. And it led down the road to where I started selling drugs. And it started out very simple of just, you know, using marijuana and drinking. And it started way early on, um, around the age of like 13, somewhere in that realm. And then by the time I was um, 17 years old, I had been selling because the only way that I saw that I could even gain even more popularity and be that guy was if I was the guy selling drugs. And I tell you what, being in that crowd, I was that guy because everybody wanted to be friends with the guy who had the stuff. And so I'm broken, but in my brokenness, I'm thinking that I'm trying to, or I think I'm gaining ground because of this, but it just led even further down to harder stuff because as you go, Right, You have to do more and more and more and more to numb out that pain. Because that pain doesn't just go away. That bitterness, that anger just doesn't go away in and of itself or in and of anything that we can do on our own. I tried. I tried and I tried and I tried and I tried and I tried to get that pain and that hurt and that anger to go away. I tried to numb it out the best that I could. It led me to, um, to the road of, of using more and more drugs and different drugs, and I started using meth. And it took one time, because if anybody knows me, I'm a very much excitable guy. I like exciting things. I like being in front of people. I love talking. I love going around and hanging out. I love exercising. I love being active, right? And so methamphetamines, the way they work is they close off your endorphins and they dump open your adrenal gland. And if I'm being a little bit um, too much, I apologize. 
but it's, it dumps open your adrenal glands, and so you just like feel like you can jump over the moon. And so it was just hook and sinker. The horrible part about that drug, specifically for me in my life, is it is the destroyer of worlds. I became a person that no longer cared about anyone else. The pain and the hurt and the anguish that I had felt before out of compassion for other things was gone. I cared about no one else, no one else but myself, and how I could get my next fix, how I could get my next thing to numb out how I was feeling. I stole from my parents. I stole from other people. I didn't care about anyone else. I hurt people. I burnt every bridge. My parents had a restraining order against me because I had stolen from them. I had gotten to a place in life where I was done. I didn't care. I was ready to just die. I was ready. I had no clue what eternity looked like. I had no concept of hell or heaven at that point. All I knew is I just wanted everything to go away. So I woke up and I put on my backpack and I had been bouncing around from house to house. I was 18 years old at this point, um, 18, almost 19. And so I just started walking. And you know, the Bible says that many are the plans, many are the plans of the man, but the Lord directs his steps. And I believe with everything that is in me, that the Lord directed my steps that morning because I just started walking. And I don't know how many miles it was away from my parents' place, but I ended up, it was a Sunday morning, out of all mornings, and I ended up over at my parents' place, standing out in their yard. <clears throat> and my stepdad came out, and he looked at me, and he's like, you know you're not supposed to be here. I was like, I know. I don't have anywhere to go. He's like, well, your mom's already at the church, so if you want to come along, then let's go to church. And I'm like, I've tried everything else. Might as well, might as well go to church. A little backstory into it. About a year before that, my mom had finally gotten to the point to where she submitted to Christ and started praying. And her friends started praying. And for a short stint while I was actually at their house before they got the restraining order on me, um, I remember waking up and my mom and her friends would be there and they would be anointing with anointing oil, my shoes, and they would be anointing my pillow, and they anointed my forehead. And I woke up, and I remember my mom's friend saying, don't worry, sweetie, go back to sleep. We're just anointing you. (laughs) So here we are a year later, and the crazy thing about that, right, is because I went from using methamphetamines to hitting rock bottom within about a year, year and a half. I know people who are still are still caught up in that and just can't. They seem like they can't escape. So I really want to draw attention to that because of them praying. God directed my steps, and I wound up that morning at my parents' place, and I went to church. And I'll never forget walking into church, and everybody's in. They're like, hey, hey, and worship is going. And I walk in the doors, and worship like stops. And my mom turns around and falls to her knees and just loses it, right? The whole church had been praying over me and for me. And so um, that was the morning where God was like, okay, enemy, you're done. Now it starts the process. Because of prayer, my life was changed. And from that point, it's been a road, right? Because it wasn't all of a sudden, boom, I'm 
new creation and everything is gone from the past and I'm totally awesome now and everything's good and I'll never sin again. No way, Jose. It has been a journey, but God is so faithful that when there is true repentance in a person's heart, Matthew says it best. He says, a good tree will bear good fruit and a bad tree will bear bad fruit. And that day when I truly repented and I said, Lord, I cannot do this on my own. I've tried everything that I could think of. Show me your real. Here it is. I need you. I need a savior. So part of the reason why, um, not the, why I'm wiping my eyes. I'm, I'm a crier, if you couldn't tell. I'm, I was telling, I tell lots of people lots of things. Uh, but I was saying I'm, I'm not so much like a, a crier from like physical pain. So like if I break something or cut something or like I'm not so much of a crier that way, but when it comes to God and how amazing he is and what he's restored me from and rescued me from, whew, gets me. So um, now I lost where I was talking about. Good. Um, so I was going to say, I was going to say about my shirt from Nico, this is one of the things that really encapsulated um, that change, right? Because I came to Christ, I repented, I asked Christ to be my savior, um, and then I needed almost like a catalyst, like something to really like drive it home, you know, that, that last pounding of the nail. Um, and Nico was that for me. Um, it was an outdoors event where you go in groups, um, they have them twice a year, I don't know if Danny and Debbie Ray are still running them, um, but it was, you know, small groups, you go out, guys go over here, girls go over here, here's a tent and some twine and fix a shelter for yourself kind of moment. We had like a center stage area where everybody would meet and have Bible studies and stuff like that. Um, and then we would go on like hikes and different things. It was like an outdoor wilderness, like really come to Jesus, everybody hang out and encourage each other, like just awesome. And there was a moment, right? We were on this day hike, and we were down by the creek, and I was carving my stick, and please, Lord, don't let me cry. Um, I was carving on my stick, right? And uh, I slipped, and I sliced into my hand, like so deep that there's still probably about a half-inch scar on my hand. Um, and it just started bleeding, right? Instantly, and I, I say deprecating now because I was self-deprecating because before... I'm not very uh, articulate in some things, and so I said defecating, and my buddy had to remind me that that was not the correct uh, use of the syllables. So um, I was self-deprecating, uh, and I was just, just getting down on myself, like, you're such an idiot. I can't believe you did that. Like, just letting it rain down, and it's just the, the enemy just coming in and just wah, 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 just getting after me. Because he knew what was going on. I mean, I was in the midst of, like, God doing amazing things. And my leaders saw what was going on. And my leader, Sarah Eddy, bless her heart, she was like, anyhow, another time. She's like, this is the time that God has for Isaac. So everybody surrounded me. And they started praying. And Sarah's like, just start praying. I was like, I don't even know what to pray. What should I pray? And she's like, pray whatever's in your heart. I was like, God. I just want to know that you're real, and I want to, I want to hear your voice. Will you, will you speak to me? And they're all praying, and all of a sudden, like me talking to you, I heard, I love you. 
and I forgive you. And it was like this dam broke, and it just, I mean, I was, you think I'm crying tonight. Man, the tears were just flowing. And at that point, it was like, it was like a fire was ignited in me, you know, that reminds me of in Jeremiah where it says, your word is in my heart like a fire shut up in my bones. I grow weary from holding it in. I cannot, like Jeremiah couldn't hold it in. I felt like that fire was in me. And that was, that was my moment where God just drove it home. So I, I wore my Nico shirt tonight because that was the moment I feel like that it could have gone either way. I could have been like one of those people who get a part of the fire for a bit and then they're like the coal that gets dragged off and then dies out. Um, but because of that moment, I felt like I was in. I was a part of, of God's orchestrated plan and set everything in motion of where I'm at today. So um, that's my story. I mean, from that point until now has been just a ton of God just going through and refining me, and I have so much more refining to do. Um, But I'm thankful that every day I can wake up, I can breathe, I can spend time with my God because he chose to pull me out of the pit that I was in and direct my steps to bring me to the place of repentance. And through prayer, that was made possible in a short amount of time. And I believe with everything in my heart that if I wouldn't have had the people praying over me that I had praying over me, I would have experienced so much more, so much more. Just looking at the people who I had around me who maybe they didn't have the people in their lives who cared enough to pray and what they've gone through. I know that the Lord saw fit to stay me from a lot of the things in my stubborn, selfish ways would have gone through before I would have submitted. Um, Which brings me to um, what I want to talk about tonight. So what I want to talk about or the scripture that God has laid on my heart is from Luke 15. um, And I'm going to do what Pastor Ben would do if he was here. And I'm going to ask if you guys could stand while I read from the word of God. And I learned from my wife through Nehemiah where he spoke, I believe it was with the Levites, or, but he would have the Israelites stand as he would read the word of God. So it's Luke 15, verses 8 through 10. And it's the, the parable of the lost coin. And it says, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me! For I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. God, again, I just want to pray that as I bring your word now and not just my testimony, that your um, spirit would speak through me, that it would be nothing of me, but only of you in Jesus' name. Amen. So Luke 15 um, Or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? Um, When I was doing a bit of research on this parable, at first, when when you first read it, or when I first read it, I was thinking, oh, like the lady had some money, right, that was set aside to buy groceries and different kinds of things, and she lost some of her money. Like, 
How many of you, if you drop like a $100 bill in a dark house, wouldn't like light up the whole house and like look everywhere and try and find the money that was, you know, dropped down? Well, come to find out, it was more than that. When a Jewish girl would get married, she would wear a headdress with 10 silver coins. And it was basically resemblance of a wedding ring. And so her losing that coin was catastrophic. I mean, it was massive calamity of like, that was her wedding band and she had just lost it. So she was going to do everything that she could to find it. I would think that if I found something or if I lost something of great importance, that I would call my friends, I would call my family, I would call my neighbor, I would call everybody that I could and I would say, even if you can't physically help me, please pray and ask the Lord to help me find this. And I believe wholeheartedly that she did this because it's what I would have done. Which brings me to the importance of praying for the lost. (sighs) There are so many times that all we can do or all we should do is pray. Even Paul brings reference to there's a time in certain circumstances where all you can do is pray for someone. There are so many broken and lost people that you can't reach right now because either you don't live in the same city or the same state, and so you can't physically go to them, but you can pray. Or, like in Matthew 13, the parable of the, of the seed, the sower, right? Some of the seed falls on rocky ground, some of the seed falls along the wayside, it gets choked out by the thorns, but some falls on the fertile soil. Some people's soil is just not ready to receive that seed. And if it's not ready to receive the seed, they're not going to listen to a word that you have to say. I was at a place in my life where when people were coming to me and talking to me about Jesus and telling me about youth group and how I should come and I should learn more about God, I told them to kick rocks because I wasn't ready for it. My soil was rocky. It was not ready for the seed. And there's some people where they're just not ready for you to help. They're not ready for you to go out and give them a helping hand and find them a job or give them skills that they could use to actually get on their feet. Some men are just not in the position to be taught to fish yet. And so what can we do? If they're not ready, Lord, what can we do? That's why we pray. James 5, 16, it says, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. I believe in my whole heart with everything that I am that because my mom and her friends effectively and fervently prayed over me that I was stayed from so much that I could have gone through. Our prayer is so effective when our hearts are in the right spot. We talked about last week you know, the vile person and hatred towards the vile person. And my standpoint is even in those moments, like Ben was saying, that he would still run into a building he would help rescue. Even if we have contempt in our hearts for people in certain situations, we can still, out of a healthy fear of the Lord, we can pray. And we can show love and compassion by praying. Even if we have still these feelings that God is working out or they're that kind of person or this kind of person, we can still, for that vile person, we can still pray out of reverence for the Lord because God has called us to follow him, to honor him. The fervent, the effective, fervent prayer 
of a righteous man avails much. And we are made righteous by Christ's blood. Proverbs 15.8, the sacrifice of the wicked is abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. His delight. Think about the things that you delight in. We're more aware when those things come about, right? If you guys come here on Thursday night to come hang out and you like sweets, right? And somebody brings that, that chocolate chip cookie that's just done right. You delight in that chocolate chip cookie. And so you're going to be more aware that it's there. You smell it. Oh, it's good. You're drawn to it, right? Delight. We're more likely to give our full attention to things that we delight in. Have you ever been talking with someone and you're kind of, your mind is somewhere else because you're not delighting in what they're having to say? You're not fully focused on what they're having to say? You're thinking about the other thing that you got to do down the road or tomorrow or the next day? You're not delighting in that time. But when we delight in things, we are enthralled. We're like, yes, tell me more. Tell me more. Yes. So when it says, but the prayer of the upright is his delight, he delights in our prayer. So when we pray over the lost, when we pray over the broken, he delights in our prayer. He is drawn to his attention is given to our prayer. He delights in it. How should we pray over the lost? This is something that my buddy Tucker uh, Volberg just asked me recently. You know, they have, they own fiddlers and they have a bunch of people who come around who are homeless, you know, and Tucker was asking me because of my testimony, you know, part of my testimony is being homeless and living out on the streets. And he's like, how can I better witness to these people? I feel like, you know, I want to, I want to do something. How can I be effective? For me, my answer to him was like, like be praying, pray over them, pray. That's one of the biggest things. Don't go out and start giving people money. You know, a lot of people don't want to, they don't really want your encouragement. They don't really, aren't, aren't really in that place. Like I said, that the soil is not ready for the seed. But what we can do is we can pray. And so I just encourage them, even as you're letting them know that they need to go hang out somewhere else because they can't hang out on your stoop at your, you know, but you can still, you know, what silver and gold I do not have, but what I do, I give, like, I can pray over you, like I can speak truth over you, you know, I give this to you. So how should we pray? How should we pray over them? What effort do we give in our daily prayer, right? Is it just something like an add-on, you know, something that you add on your, oh, yeah, I'm going to pray for this here for just a second and then move on with the rest of my day, right? Out of the, out of the whole day, you spent 1.57% praying over the lost. And it got that little bit. No, God says in Psalms 119, 145, I cry out with my whole heart, hear me, O Lord, I will keep your statutes. I took from that, I cry out with my whole heart. He's crying out with his whole heart to the Lord. When we pray, we are to cry out for the lost. We are to cry out with our whole heart, whatever that looks like. And I'm not saying that you have to become some religious person who spends all the time in the world on their knees and praying for the lost. But I'm saying, don't let it just be this like little glimmer of like, I did my good deed, check, right? Allow God to spur something in you that your whole heart is like, Father God, I pray over this specific thing. I pray over this specific person that you would, that you would come in like a flood and change their hearts and change their minds. 
With our whole hearts, we should pray. The next one is we should pray with confidence, confidence that God is who he says he is and that he'll do what he says he will do. Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and he will not do? Or has he spoken and he will not make it good? God is God. He's going to do what he says that he will do. He is faithful to that. So when we pray to our God, we can be confident that he will turn his ear to our prayer and he will take delight in our prayer. So we can pray with that confidence. What should we pray specifically for the lost? There may be some people either watching or here tonight that you're like, I don't know anybody who is in that kind of a situation. It would be very rare that someone wouldn't know someone in that kind of a situation, but I'm just saying you may not. Or you know of someone who knows of someone, you know, a distant relative or somebody else, and they're, they're lost, but you have no idea the circumstances that they're going through. You just know that they don't know Jesus and their life is not on the right track, and so you don't really know them. So you're like, what should I pray? I, I don't know if they need you know, finances. I don't need, know if they need this or that. Um, so a friend encouraged me. One of the things that we can pray over them specifically is psalms, which you can go all throughout the psalms, and you can find specific psalms that you could pray over the lost, whether it be somebody that's in your family or somebody that you don't know. Uh, have you guys driven along I-5 lately? It's hard not to get frustrated, right, as a citizen of like, what the heck is going on? What are they allowing to happen? But there are so many broken people who are lost, who don't know Christ, most likely. I can't speak for them all 100%, but they are broken, broken, vile, doing things that culturally we, what? We can pray over them. It might be one of those things where you have a specific psalm that you've picked out, And every time you drive down that corridor, you're praying that psalm. Lord, I have no clue what these people are going through or what's going on in their mind, if they have mental issues as far as like mental illnesses or if they have whatever's going on, but I'm praying this specifically, Lord. Paul says in 2 Timothy 2, 25 through 26, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. There are so many people that are bound up and locked up, and so we can pray just simply that, Lord God, bring them to a place. Bring them to that place where they are repentant. The woman, coming back to you know, verse 8, it says that she lights up the lamp. She lights up the whole room trying to find this coin. She brings in the light. Well, we have a light. Our light is the word of God. In Psalms 119, 105, it says, your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. We can share the word of God and that can light the way for people. You never know what situation a person's heart is going to be in. I was encouraged by Ben when we started the ETS group is that we could make like touch cards, right? Like testimonial touch cards of just like, you know, here's a, a bit about me and what God's done. Here's a scripture. You know, being able to hand them to people. You may hand out 100 of those, and you get one or two people who really are affected by it. 
But as we can see, the one that was lost brings joy. So if you hand out 1,000 of those, if you hand out 2,000 of those, you've taken all your time, you've made these cards, you've handed them out to random people, and one person, one person turns from what they're doing and says, Jesus, I need a savior. I'm telling you right now, as a man who stands before you, humble that I'm standing up here, that God is so amazing, and he can take that effort, and he can use it for the one person, and he can make somebody shine. Luke 15, 9 through 10. And when she found it, she calls her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I know the joy that I have in my heart and my life from being that one that was found. I can't speak to that joy that someone feels. And we've all gone through, I hope, a situation where even if you didn't have as rocky a past as I We've all come to that place to where we knew that we needed a savior, that we couldn't do it on our own. You don't have to have a druggy past or a super broken, abused past. We all have fallen short, and we all have come to that situation. If you know Christ tonight as your personal savior, you had that moment where you were found. You were lost, and you were found. And the joy that you have from being found, I pray that you would remember that first joy, that first love, right? That first joy that you have. That's the joy that it's talking about. The joy in the presence of the angels of God over the sinner who repents. When we repent and ask Christ to be our savior and truly repent, that joy, it's amazing. Romans 12, 15, I believe this is the last slide, so we will end with this. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. We need to stand with each other in prayer for the lost. If you're at a home group, if you're at your Bible study, if you're just hanging out with friends at the movies or at Taekwondo or knitting class or art coloring or whatever it may be, take a moment. Just take a moment. Stand together, be yoked together. I have in my notes, I stand before you as proof, but I already went over. Um, My encouragement tonight also would be to anyone that is dealing with a situation where they have a loved one who is lost, and it feels like there is no hope for them. God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing. Continue to pray. Do not lose heart. Do not lose heart. Do not lose hope. God is so amazing. It's our job to be mindful and prayerful. Don't lose hope. And I also wanted to, just in case there's anyone who, if you're hearing this and you feel that, that you're lost, you feel lost, there's hope. Find someone that you can talk to about Jesus. Open your Bible. God's word does not return void. If you're in a situation where you're lost and you're looking for answers, you're looking for hope, you can find it in Jesus. I just didn't wanna, I just didn't wanna end without without saying that. If there's someone, right, the one, the one lost. Well, Lord God, I just thank you so much, again, just for the true honor, Lord God, of being able to stand before your people and preach and, and say encouragement. Uh, Father, I, I pray that 
your word, <clears throat> that your word would resound in their hearts and their minds, that it wouldn't be the, the voice of the man who stands before him, but that it would be your Holy Spirit that would encourage them tomorrow and the next day and the next day, that they would be mindful of standing together and praying for the lost, Lord God. I thank you that you've equipped us with such a mighty weapon as prayer. So we give you thanks for tonight, and we pray, Lord God, over the lost right now. We pray with our whole hearts, like Paul said in 2 Timothy, Lord God, that you would bring them to repentance. Have mercy on them, Lord God. We thank you for all that you are and how you continue to mold us and shape us into what you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.